Hello and welcome to another episode of A Need to Read. I'm happy to be here. I hope you're happy to be listening. I'm a day late and no one will have noticed, but I can only apologise because my organisation seems to have gone out the window, even though in this book he talks about organisation. I just didn't fancy it. So um, here I am apologising mostly to myself, but also to you guys as well. So before I get into things on the podcast, let's just run through little ways in which you can support me because if you like what I do you might just want to do that now if you don't hate what I do and you like the podcast and you like other little interactions with me then head to patreon.com forward slash a need to read from 3.99 per month up to 3.99 per month there is only one option um, on the price in there because I've, I've changed it from two you can get access to bonus episodes you get access to the monthly book club and did I mention bonus episodes? They're actually ad-free, so you won't have to hear me talk about Patreon or what I'm going to speak about next, which is BetterHelp. But if you want to go to Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash a need to read. That way you can support me and I can give you some extra bits for putting your trust in me with that. It's great. Now, second thing, BetterHelp. BetterHelp are the sponsors of the podcast. I'm very proud that they are. They provide an online therapy service to millions of people around the world. I think there's something some ridiculous number of hours in which they've um provided this secure therapy for people with and i get good feedback all the time which is amazing because obviously you do take on a bit of a risk when you get sponsors when you're new to this game and i've done my due diligence thought myself that better help were a great company and it turns out that they are from talking to people that have got it through my link now i can't make you go to therapy Therapy, in my opinion, is something that you should probably do as a prevention rather than a cure because by the time it gets to the cure, it's pretty hard work and you can take it from me, but it is worth it in the end. So if you are on the edge about going to therapy, if you can't access it through face-to-face services at the moment or if you can't get it through whoever provides your healthcare, then you get 10% off your first month as a Need to Read listener. You just go to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read and from there, you can be in touch with a therapist within 48 hours, which is mental. So if you decide that that's right for you, you know where the link is. It's in the description. But let's get in to the episode. This book is written by Mr. Controversial himself, Jordan Peterson. Now, Jordan Peterson obviously wrote 12 Rules for Life. I don't know if you've read it or not, um, because there's a lot of you listening. I don't know what you've all read. It, I didn't rate it, 12 Rules for Life. It wasn't my favourite book. Um, in fact it was far from it I thought it was bang average and there were some pretty shoddy examples in there now this book is a lot better in my opinion and there are way better examples used throughout the book way more like anecdotal evidence that actually shone a different light on Jordan Peterson than the one that I constantly see him in because he is pretty controversial people like Jordan Peterson they are sense makers Uh, they're logical thinkers and they're somewhat unemotional which is very strange uh, for a therapist or psychotherapist to to be unemotional but I do think a lot of psychotherapists are unemotional I think they understand emotions on a very deep level but whether they experience as many themselves I don't know and look I'm look at me sat here saying that therapists don't know emotions what a load of shite um 
Jordan Peterson strikes me as someone who isn't very emotional. And from reading his books, I think that would be a pretty solid assumption. I'm sure there are loads of therapists that are very emotional. But I think for the stuff that you have to hear and listen to, to not take on board other people's traumas and trials and tribulations that they have in their life, I think you do have to be um, quite hard, as it were. And Jordan Peterson's one of those people. There's not necessarily a lack of empathy that comes across, but there is also kind of a lack of empathy that comes across in some of his videos and his lectures, which which I think that's why people don't like him is because he fails sometimes to see the emotions and just likes to see the facts. Um, but of course, in life, you can't deny emotions because they're there and everyone has them. Um, apart from obviously Jordan Peterson and all the therapists that I just said um, don't have emotions. Now I'm going to run through this book review in a slightly different way. I'm going to review every chapter in short because that is what people voted for on Instagram and I think that's quite a good way for me to do it. Now, rule number one in the 12 more rules for life, Jordan B. Peterson, Beyond Order, do not carelessly denigrate social institutions or creative achievement. Now, do not moan about your situation or blame society for your standing in it or blame the fact that there are rules or blame the fact that some of the rules are getting loosened. That's what you should have called it if you wanted people to understand it a bit better because denigrate is a word that I didn't know what it meant until I started reading the book and had to look it up and it essentially means just bad-mouthing. Um because that's just what it means but look smart people use long words this book was pretty intellectually challenged there are a lot of words i had to look up and some words i just didn't bother with i just sort of breezed over and kind of assumed what they meant um but that's the joy of reading because you get to do that you could literally think denigrate i could have just made up what that meant and most of you would be none of the wiser because i've never heard that word before reading this book but in rule number one there are a few things Jordan Peterson goes into, which I shall mention now. One of the things is he was, <laughs> what it's very clear to see here is that he's sort of saying to people that are left leaning, hey, stop being so mad at the institution for having all these rules that you have to follow because order is somewhat necessary in life to sort of manage the many. And what he's saying to the right leaning individuals is, look change is absolutely necessary because some of the things and rules that we live by in the world are outdated and we need change makers and creatives to come along and push for those changes so that we can move forward as a general civilization not just on an individual basis but as the human race as a whole some form of order is absolutely necessary um but do you want my prediction for where the world's going to go? Fine, I'll give it to you. There's going to be so much machine automation that comes out and that's going to allow for more people to have more free time, which will then allow them to become more creative, which will then come for a more change-making world. And it's at that stage you just need to be careful that we're not just carelessly denigrating all social institutions, just as Jordan Peterson has said. But there will be more creative achievement, I think. And one of the quotes from the books 
book is if you understand the rules, their necessity, their sacredness, the chaos they keep at bay, how they unite the communities that follow them, the price paid for their establishment and the danger of breaking them, but you are willing to fully shoulder the responsibility of making an exception because you see that as serving a higher good, and if you're a person with sufficient character to manage that distinction, then you have served the spirit rather than the mere law, and that is an elevated moral act. So what he's saying there is if you can look logically at a situation, say, hey, these are the rules at the moment, I understand what sacrifices people have made for these rules to be in place, but I still think they're absolute bullshit and I'm going to do good for the good of the people, then go right ahead and do it. I think that's what he's saying there. And I think one part that he says is that true winners play fair. I don't know about that. When I was in the Marines, someone said to me, oh, if you're not cheating, you're not trying hard enough. And sometimes if I'm playing board games, that's the route I'll go down. But you can't cheat your way through life. Um, so true winners do play fair, I think. Because then you get to win guilt-free. One of the examples that you used in Rule 1 was about children playing. And for like the necessity of rules and for the necessity of... Kind of like the, the way that we're kind of brought up. It's nature or nurture. I'm not too sure on this. But Jean Piaget, a psychologist, observed children playing. And the games that they played naturally gravitated towards sort of authority figures being within them and having assigned roles as opposed to just being games of absolute chaos with no rules and I think that just goes to show at a young age we kind of do appreciate a bit of law and order and a bit of someone saying hey go here go there don't go here don't go there because it allows us to know like the boundaries in which we need to play within or live within so that is basically do not moan about your situation unless you're doing something good about it. So a pretty harsh thing that he said is that he had a client who was in her mid-twenties and she wouldn't get out of bed and all she would do was complain about the state of the world and he basically said to her, look, you have no right to be complaining about the world if you're not even going to try and keep yourself in order. Which, I mean, I think it's true. Like, There's been times where I've definitely been moaning about the way that things are in the world, moaning about society, moaning about all this stuff. But I was doing fuck all to change it myself or to change myself. That we all know that you can't control some of the things that happen around you. You can only control your attitude to it. And that's summing up, actually, rule number one. I think nothing more to say. Rule number two. Imagine who you could be and then aim single-mindedly at that. Now, I really like this chapter because, like, who could you actually be? I bet most people haven't actually really given that thought of who they could be, what they could achieve. Jordan Peterson disagrees with me. He thinks everyone has a sense that there's like more to them than they've been allowed to realise as of yet. And maybe that's true. But look, I'm saying that if you haven't realised that yet, just really think about who you absolutely could be. Like if you were to picture yourself in five years' time, where would you want to be? What are you doing? Who are you with? Like what are your values? What are your hobbies? What are you now good at that you've started recently? Is there one thing that you would need to do to change your life? Okay, focus that today and for the next week and then build something else again in three weeks. I think it's like a, an aiming at a higher good 
in terms of your life as opposed to just going through the motions. He uses Quidditch as an example in Harry Potter. He says the seeker is like the obviously the desirable role. They're not the captain, but they're like the most important. They have the power to make sure the game is won or lost. He says the seeker takes a sense of significance more seriously than anything else. So like it's someone who is working for more and they're looking to like really capture the prize, not just sort of amble on by as if life is limitless. So you just have to aim at something. And when it comes to like what you need to aim at, figure out what interests you. It's interesting, Jordan Peterson says you don't actually choose what interests you. It chooses you. So something will just manifest out of the darkness as, as compelling and worth living for. And that you can work towards. Find something you enjoy. Why not try and make it a little side hustle? Aim single-mindedly at it. If that's who you would be, why not do it? I can't believe we're 13 minutes in and I still haven't finished number two. Absolutely mental. There was more in number two that I've made notes of. And it was more talking about the uh, Chamber of Secrets in Harry Potter. And he says, in the filth it will be found. And that's a Latin phrase, instaquinalis inventure. Which, guess what, I've probably completely butchered. If anyone speaks Latin, I'm sorry for the mispronunciation. But look, I'm only human and who fucking cares about Latin anymore? You know? What you are looking for in life is where you do not want to go. In the filth, it will be found. That's what you've got to do. If you if you really can't sort of think about who you could be, look at who you are currently and look at the bad bits of yourself and try and get rid of them. He says that like life's greatest snakes, because snakes are obviously the most evil thing represented in the Bible because he loves talking about the Bible. The greatest snakes are the ones that are within us because we are all pieces of shit, which, I mean, I can agree with old Jordan Peterson on that front. But here's, here's the sort of closing quote, and I'm, I'm very aware that I'm a bit all over the place with this, but look, it was a very challenging book. My brain's still trying to get most of it in. But he says, aim at something, pick the best target you can currently conceptualise and stumble towards it. Notice your errors and misconceptions along the face. Face them and correct them. It's along the way, not along the face. I wrote it down wrong. Get your story straight, past, present, future. They all matter. You need to map your path. So aim at something, pick something, pick a target, get on at it. And that is number two done. Rule number three, do not hide unwanted things in the fog. I really like this one because my version of the fog is a cupboard in my room. And it was, full. everyone has these cupboards, I'm pretty sure, or a drawer where you open it and it's just full of shit. You just don't, you don't want to open it. I have to open it because that's where I keep my hoodies, but it's also where I keep, I don't know, loads of shit. Picture frames of like my ex-girlfriend from like four years ago. I don't want that. What? <laughs> because I've just been hiding. I just couldn't be bothered to deal with it. So I'll just put it in this cupboard. I think everyone has that. Now, he uses a pretty shitty example of this, about hiding unwanted things in the fog. He uses an example of his father-in-law, who's apparently unhappy with the size of the plates 
that his wife keeps giving him dinner on for 20 years and then he kicks off massively about it after 20 years and I think what Jordan Peterson's trying to get out there is if you are not happy with something just say about it so it doesn't have to be something physical that you're hiding in the fog it could be your feelings that you're hiding in the metaphorical fog and keeping them away from people which will then lead to you having a breakdown about the plates that you're served your lunch on by your wife which no one wants to be that guy he talks in this one about the sins obviously because he loves the bible absolutely loves god he talks about the sins of omission and sins of commission now the sins of like actually doing something bad the sin of commission people generally think that's worse than the sin of omission which is leaving things out jordan peterson tends to agree disagree sorry he thinks the sins of omission are worse so my sin of omission is just leaving stuff in a cupboard and just pretending it's not there hoping that it will go away and you can't do that in life if you feel a certain way about something or if you're trying to hide something i've probably got a phone box from a phone like six years ago that's just under my bed because i'm refusing to throw it away for some reason i'm hiding it in the fog and it doesn't make sense i tend to not hide things in the fog when i'm doing it in a personal sense like if i've got something to say i tend to just say it and if I'm trying to communicate my feelings with people, then I'll just be straight up with that because I lived a long time hiding, to use Jordan Peterson's example there, like unwanted things in the fog. I lived a long time of just not talking about how I felt, even if it was like detrimental to a situation. I'd rather carry the burden of the bad feelings than... than have to tell someone I don't like something which is complete and utter bullshit um, and if I could if I could give one bit of advice if I could give you one of my rules for life is just if you think about something three times just say it or if you think about something three times just do it I'm saying that that's a rule but we've obviously just heard about the pictures of an ex-girlfriend that I had in my cupboard it is gone now um, just to be rare but I just didn't that just screamed hypocrisy what i was just saying there but you get what i mean do as i say not as i do you know what i'm saying one of the big quotes is at the end he says failing to look under the bed when you strongly suspect a monster is lurking there is not an advisable strategy so i think what he means there is look when you think something's up go and investigate it as opposed to just pretending that it's not there and just letting it sit in the fog stagnant for a while so that's rule number three. The explanation of the rules will become particularly shorter as I realised that I couldn't be bothered essentially to write massive long essays on each one like I did with number one and two. Rule number four, notice that opportunity lurks where responsibility has been abdicated. So basically when someone else won't do something, it's time for you to step up or when something's not being done, it's time for you to step up and shoulder the responsibility. He says the pursuit of a goal is the key to happiness and the pursuit of a goal is also like it, it screams responsibility because you're taking responsibility for yourself or or for whatever that end goal is so therefore responsibility is a key to happiness according to old geordie p now um when things aren't done obviously they don't get done i don't need to explain that to you because of course you're not stupid 
but he says that people are more commonly upset by what they didn't even try to do than the errors that they actively committed whilst engaging with the world. So just try and do something. If you're at work and you're getting pissed off about the way things are done or things that aren't being done, just do them. And then maybe you do that for a few months and you go to your boss and you're like, hey, by the way, you know how everyone here is a lazy shitbag and none of this stuff was getting done? Your boss will be like, yeah, yeah, I know about that. Yeah, yeah, I manage this place. Of course I know. And you go, well, guess what, bitch? I've done them all. I've done all these things. So can I have some extra money? Or do you want to promote me or swap jobs? Maybe that conversation might not go well if you use my exact words. But... It might go a bit better if you use your common sense and, and go about it in a better way. But what we're saying is just take on some extra responsibility, especially if other people are abandoning it because it will put you above the others. I know life's not a competition, but it is kind of. So give it a go. And here is a very, very good thing that he says in uh, he says what makes you so sure you don't want something heavy to carry like how do you know that you don't want to do the hard work how do you know you don't want the extra responsibility how do you know all these things his thing you don't there you go and that is rule number four as summarized by me rule number five do not do what you hate i don't need to break that one down for you because that one's pretty simple and he's not really talking about things like going to your aunt's birthday or other shit things like that he's talking about like just generally things that you don't like doing things that you really hate doing situations you hate being in jobs you hate or anything he does talk about it quite practically as well it's like obviously you can't just leave your job like with responsibilities but you can actively try and find something else you're better to try and fail than not to try at all and he talks about like when people are searching for new jobs he says it will take about 50 applications before you probably get the job and you're doing yourself a disservice if you just sort of presume the worst after like a couple of rejections because you're still going to be doing something that you hate and people don't often calculate the risks of staying put in something that they hate they are they often calculate the risks of moving and be like oh i wouldn't want to move because what if this happened what if that happened but it's like when i left my job like the risk of me staying in that job it was pretty high like i, I didn't like it i hated it I, in fact it made me hate my life so the risk of me staying put was i could have gone into a way darker place and i was already in somewhere that was pretty dark so i had to leave and he says sometimes if you've got to cut off a cat's tail which i wouldn't recommend you do don't do it an inch at a time. If you've got to cut it off at the butt, take the cat's tail off straight away. So if you're doing something that you hate, Jordan Peterson says, don't do it. Rule number six is abandon ideology or ideology, however you want to pronounce that word. I think it's probably a bit of a dig at the left, but it's also probably a bit of a dig at the right. And he talks about solving your own problems first before you try and take on the world, which is very similar to what he says in rule one um I, th I didn't really think this chapter was that great um there was maybe about three or four chapters that i didn't really rate in the book and this was one of them um but he does say in there a world where you only where only you and the people who think like you are good is a world where you're surrounded by enemies bent on your destruction i mean it is true look 
everyone's in an echo chamber, right? We're probably not getting enough varied opinions because as soon as we see something that differs from ours or doesn't fit our narrative for what we think life is like, then people tend to kick off nowadays. And I think when it comes to abandoning ideology, it's looking at it in a more logical perspective. Like I don't know anyone who's like a proper socialist and I don't know any Nazis. But there are people with views on either side of sort of central sitting politics that have ideologies about particular things. And it's having those ideologies that essentially upsets them because you get so obsessed with it. That's the horrible thing about politics is people just get obsessed with it. I think there was a stage where I was as well and I've, I've taken a step back now. I've tried reading about it a little bit more, doing my due, dil due diligence Look, if you want to keep ideologies you can Jordan Peterson says abandon it I think I'm gonna not abandon ideology to like totally but I probably won't be as much of an idealist as I was and I'm pretty pessimistic anyway so I don't really think I was an idealist but if I was, I'd have abandoned that because Jordan Peterson said so. And obviously, he's the overruling lord of the world because he is so smart, which is a joke. Rule number seven. I love this one. It is a bit of a religious chapter, though. But it says, work as hard as you possibly can at at least one thing and see what happens. Now, the discipline pursuit of something is generally good for you, right? It gives you a purpose. So, sort of similar to imagining who you can be in working single-mindedly at that it's like why not try and find something worth working towards why not pick up a passion follow what you're interested in follow your heart follow the urges that you have to do what you want to do and it's weird because like in school i was thinking about this when i was reading this chapter like people don't want you to go all in on something people don't think it's a good idea because they want to protect you from failure which is bollocks. Failure is a great thing because it teaches you so much. You'd rather have failed at seven or eight things and never tried any of those things because at least you know that they don't work or didn't work for you. So think about that. Like, Is there anything that you could pick as your thing to work as hard as you possibly can on? Because some people have a side hustle. They do 20 minutes here and there. But if you have a side hustle that you're only doing 20 minutes on, are you really passionate about it? Because you're like, surely you just want to do it all the time. I don't have a living moment where I'm not kind of thinking about the podcast in some sort of way. Because I love it. That's why I'm working as hard as, not as hard as I possibly could, but as hard as I want to on it. So there you go. Find something you want to work hard on. That is a good rule. But this next rule, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm in two minds about. Because uh, it's, right, I'll tell you what it's called first. Try and make one room in your house as beautiful as possible. I do agree with this to a certain extent, but whether it's worth a whole chapter, I'm not too sure. I've tried to make my room as nice as I possibly could since I've come back from Bali. And like I've got one of those night skylights that people see on Instagram all the time. And the other day, I was just sat in my room listening to music with that night skylight on. And it was great. And I'd never have just sat in my room before and just listened to music or just sat there. I'd have already been trying to do something. So... Having a room that's a sanctuary, as it were, is it is quite nice. But 
like you don't need to have a whole chapter dedicated to it i'll summarize the chapter quite well he has one room in his house and it's 12 foot by 12 foot or 12 by 12 something and it's got loads of soviet russian art on the walls and he thinks that that's great matter of personal opinion there i think soviet art's probably quite shite um but that's what makes people different that's pretty much it and then he tells you about a time that he was on ebay for every day for a year looking at 10 pieces of art a day and then he looked at the most pieces of art anyone ever looked at and honestly you don't care about it unless you do then read the book rule number nine if old memories still upset you write them down carefully and completely i'm all for this right you got to learn from your past if something from your childhood from your late teens early 20s if, if you're holding on to something that has hurt your feelings or has hurt you as a person that's pushing you into sort of a victim mentality you need to take a look into that it goes back to that old latin phrase that i can't remember but it's in the muck like you will find what you're looking for it's in the deep parts and the dark parts of yourself that you're gonna get to know yourself the best like if you don't learn from your past you think about it all the time if you think about it all the time then you're not living in the present and everyone knows the present is the best place to be right because it's a gift and that's why they call it the present still that for it instagram quote <laughs> you've got to be able to have a look at the parts of your life that have damaged you because like we are all probably a bit damaged right you have to be able to look at the reasons for that to understand why that's happened and to understand how to live a better life so if old memories do upset you write them down see how much you can remember bring up those emotions again and work through it otherwise as Jordan Peterson says in the book, he says, you'll suffer in direct proportion to your ignorance and avoidance. You don't just get to avoid bad feelings because you don't want to have them. They're going to show up. And he makes it quite clear at the end. He says, unsolved problems don't just sit there. They do multiply. And that's very true. If you don't want to look into it, if you don't want to heal, if you don't want to get better, then unfortunately your problems will just multiply and get worse and worse and worse. Here's a boring chapter for you. Rule number 10, plan and work diligently to maintain romance in your relationship. He's pushing some serious uh, societal norms here and like encourages compliance to those. And he tells people to get married early um, so you can have kids early because that is the sole purpose of life um, is reproduction. I mean, it is his book, so he'll be forgiven for pushing his values out, but I, I don't know about that. I haven't got kids, so obviously I don't know about that. But it was quite a boring chapter. Like, I, I do agree. Like, obviously, if you are in a relationship, try and make it as good as possible. There's no point being in a relationship that you think is shit. Um, some great people I met in Bali, they do a monthly, like, marriage meeting. So kind of like a business meeting, but they just have it for their relationship. Like, hey, like, you're doing well at this. Keep going you're not doing so well at this, change that. And they dedicate like a, a night, a week to go on a date. Like, this great. And, I, and they seem super, super happy, which is, which is great. You can't just have a boring relationship, otherwise it will end. Here's, here's an interesting thing. Jordan Peterson thinks if you have sex 
once a week or less, then one of you is going to have an affair. That's what he says from his experience, and he's obviously spoken to loads of people because he's a therapist. Um, but yeah, one other part that I thought was quite funny is he obviously doesn't agree with the one as a concept. He said there's at least 100 million people out there that might be a good fit for you, and you can't keep just thinking that there's going to be one person out there that's right for you. And I've spoken about this before on podcasts that like the likelihood that you went to school or university with the one is outrageous. Um, so yeah, he says what you essentially have to do is find someone that's a good fit. And at some point, unfortunately, you have to settle is what they say. So another couple of interesting things here is he says if you do find someone perfect, what makes you think that they're not going to run a mile? And why would they want to be with you? And I mean, that is so true. Like I obviously looked at myself as soon as I read that and I was like, God, if I found someone like perfect in my opinion, would they want to be with me? And I thought, you know what? Probably not. And, and I can't blame them because I'm not perfect. I think for you to think that there's someone perfect out there and to not think that you're perfect is pretty crazy. And obviously... I'm going to break this down for you real quick. You're probably not perfect. If you do think you are, um, how do you do it? That's a serious amount of self-esteem. But likely the scenario is you're not perfect because um, we are all but pieces of shit, as I like to remind everyone so often. Rule number 11. Do not allow yourself to become resentful, deceitful, or arrogant. This chapter was quite good. He did go into a lot about Snow White. Oh, no, it was Sleeping Beauty that he went into. And he talks about how people shield their kids from upset and dangerous, like, when they're younger, which then when they're exposed to the real world, they will then just be upset with everything. And that's at that point, they become resentful or they start lying or they become arrogant. Is like when you become a liar, you almost get addicted to the success of a lie. Like it's it's rewarding to be to lie to someone and to get away with it. It's a good feeling. Like you feel like you've tricked someone, you feel like you've duped someone. So don't be a liar. That's one part in there. And don't be resentful. Don't despair. When you think life is like happening to you, I think that's when you get a bit resentful. You feel like you don't deserve things to be happening. And that's like you just become resentful to everything, people around you, your situation, because you feel you don't deserve something. Oh, look, I'm not going to sit here and say that you do deserve anything bad to happen. But you'd be naive to think that they wouldn't and that things in life happen because they're deserved. There are kids that get cancer. But they don't deserve that. If you deserve something, then everyone deserves everything that they get. It's, it's not a case of, of people deserving things. Life just happens. It's not happening to you. It's happening through you. Think about that one. You don't deserve bad things, but they just show up. It's not about deserving it. It's just about the fact that shit happens. You know? Rule number 12 is be grateful in spite of your suffering. Be grateful for your suffering. Right? Like if if something bad happens, you're gonna learn from it. 
and if you're just suffering and you're just worried about the fact that you're upset or sad or depressed or anxious if, if that's what you're focusing on then that's what you're aimed towards it's like surfing right so I, i've only recently got into surfing and i didn't realize that when you look somewhere that's where you go i was surfing when i was in bali and i caught this wave and there was a girl in front of me an indonesian woman and she was just in the water and she seemed to be right in front of me as I was surfing towards her. Look, I'm shy. I don't really know how to bail off properly without killing someone. And I was looking at her thinking, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to hit her, I'm going to hit her. And because I was looking at her, that's where I went to. And she told me afterwards, she's like, if you look at something or someone, like that's where you're going to aim towards and that's where you're going to steer towards. And that's kind of like with your suffering. If you look at, oh, by the way, the girl was absolutely fine. I did completely run over her surfboard and break it but i paid for it to be fixed because apparently that is um what you do when you break someone else's stuff that makes you a good egg is uh what she said she said that someone's done it to her before and then just surfed off whereas i didn't i got out of the water and went and gave a load of money to get a surfboard fixed but what i'm saying there is when you look at when you look for stuff you'll find it when you look at something you're going to naturally gravitate towards it if you're suffering and all you can think about is the fact that you're suffering that it's so bad that it's happening to you then you're not going to get out of it as quickly as if you were to be like hey do you know what i'm actually glad that i'm going through this because this is going to make me a better person it means that you can like transcend your suffering in a way like practically as well as psychologically is that you can you start to see more clearly when you're grateful for things because you realize that these things have been served to you for a purpose and you get to be the one that decides how you take it and how you respond to it. Here's a quote. You cannot properly appreciate what you have unless you have some sense of not only how terrible things could be, but how terrible it's likely for things to be in the future. I think it's true. Think about it. I get up every morning. I don't have to go and sit in a wheelchair or I don't have to... I'm able-bodied. I live in a safe area, like I'm not in Syria, there's no bombs going off around me, like I'm very grateful for the fact that I'm safe, like a lot of the times when I'm writing down about what I'm grateful in the morning, it's like the health of my family, there's loads of different things that you can be grateful for, even if your particular situation is quite shite, think about that, that's it for Jordan Peterson's Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life. That was a long episode. Next time I read a book, I'm making sure it hasn't got 12 rules in it. I'll tell you that for free. But my general sum summary of the book is that about 65, 70% of it was actually really good and really, really helpful. Very hard to remember because it's so intellectually deep or to a high intellectual standard. It does make it more difficult, but sometimes you have to push yourself uh, with your reading and this 400 paid puppy is um, well, 375 it will push you and it's good but it's not great only read it if you want to push yourself intellectually because if, if you don't want to and you can't be asked then probably don't get it it's better than the first one though so if you're going to read either of them read this one 
that is it from me thank you so much for listening i'll be back soon with another guest episode and i will not be missing a monday upload again and i do apologize for that not that you give a fuck so to close it all off if you want therapy you go to betterhelp.com forward slash need to read and you get 10 percent off if you want to support me as a creator, as a podcast person, as a person that you listen to regularly, head to patreon.com forward slash a need to read. You can join the book club, you can get bonus episodes, and your life might get about 0.0003% better. But that's marginal gains, you know? But that's it from me. Love you, bye. <laughs>